There is a legend about a wealthy merchant who traveled over the whole Mediterranean world looking for the opportunity. There's a legend, okay? It's just a story. Looking for the opportunity to meet the Apostle Paul. And finally, he found Paul's companion, Timothy, who arranged uh, a visit for him to meet the Apostle Paul. Now, at the time, the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome, living in a jail cell. So, as, as the merchant stepped into the jail cell, he was surprised to find a frail old man. But as he talked with him, and they talked for a long time, the merchants could see that, that Paul was a man of deep peace and power. So finally, uh, the merchant left, and outside the prison, he said to Timothy, can you tell me what is the secret of this man's power? I've, I've never seen anything like it before. Oh, didn't you know? Timothy replied. Paul's in love. The merchant looked bewildered. In love? Oh, yes, Timothy replied. Paul is in love with Jesus Christ. And so the man scoffed. What? Is that all? And Timothy smiled and replied, Yes, sir, that's all. But that is everything. That is everything. The reason that Paul could face imprisonment and even death with such a, a calm assurance was because he was in love with Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only thing that mattered. Nothing else mattered to Paul as much as living for Christ because of what Christ had done for him. And so Paul now was in prison in Rome. Now this is real. Now we're into reality. Paul was in prison writing this letter to his friends in Philippi. I'm going to take you through verses 12 to 14. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, so being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So his dear friends in, Philipp in Philippi were concerned about Paul. They sent help. They sent a gift. They were concerned that Paul was okay. They were also concerned that, uh, that Paul's imprisonment would hinder the spread of the gospel. And Paul removes that fear right here. He says, don't worry about that. Don't worry. My, my imprisonment is not hindering the spread of the gospel. It's actually advancing the gospel. So my being in prison isn't, isn't stopping the gospel from spreading here. My being in prison is actually increasing the chances for the gospel to spread. It's advancing the gospel in places where um, it wouldn't go otherwise. In, in two different ways. Number one, first of all, the, um, the whole imperial palace guard. So, so think elite soldiers, basically the secret service of the emperor. They were the bodyguards of the emperor. The whole palace guard... Uh, now has been introduced to Christ. And, and so Paul, you know, speaking to the Philippians, you, you well know that I have 
um, witnessed Jesus to soldiers in prison before. That's just what I do. But these soldiers happen to be the ones who walk through Caesar's palace, Caesar's house every day. And now uh, they've been introduced to Christ. They, uh, they can well see that I'm not a criminal, but that I'm here because of my faith in Jesus. So the second blessing, the second way the gospel was advancing was that now because of what God had been doing through the Apostle Paul, um, a lot of other Christians were growing more courageous and fearless in their gospel witness. They found new courage to be identified with Christ. So Paul is saying, hey, getting out of jail would be a win. Naturally, I don't, I don't deny that. I don't like being here. Getting out of here would be a win, right? But staying in jail, being in jail has also been a win. I'm going to win either way. The, the gospel is winning either way. Friends, do you know, because, because God has redeemed us, because God has made us right with him through Christ and he's brought you to faith in that, do you know that, that our whole lives are win-wins. Our whole lives are our win-wins. Meaning, no matter what happens in your life, God is going to make that turn out into a win. God is going to make that turn out for good. That's what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, 28, a verse you probably have heard. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So no matter what happens in your life, God is going to use it for good. It's always a win. There are a lot of situations in our lives, though, that we wouldn't choose to be in. Uh, lying in a hospital bed. Sitting in, a, in an unemployment line. Um, a court appearance, nursing, taking care of a, a sick child, a car accident, uh, being in an ER waiting room. What, what do we do when we're in these kind of situations? Isn't it easy? Don't we tend to, when we get into situations like this, um, don't we tend to get all wrapped up with, why is this happening to me, Right? I mean, isn't that our first reaction? Why is this happening to me? But wouldn't it be better? If, wouldn't it be better if we were as in love with Jesus as Paul was? So that maybe we could um, be in one of those situations, instead of being, why is this happening to me, actually see it like, hmm, how is God working through me in this situation to maybe be a blessing for others? This isn't fun for me, but maybe how is God using me in this difficult situation to be a blessing for someone else? So how is God uh, working in my life right now to advance the gospel and to be a blessing for others? So maybe what, what I should be asking is, uh, what happened through me when something happened to me? And might hospital waiting rooms, accident sites, and... Uh, unemployment lines, be places where we could share Christ, where we could witness Jesus. A while back in, in Ethiopia, before it went communist, it was um, ruled by the, the, the royal ruling hierarchy there, hired a bunch of Filipino nurses and maids for their children. 
And most of those Filipino women were Christians who now found themselves in Caesar's house, so to speak. So Christian Christians um, in, in, in servant roles living inside homes of royal rulers who were not Christian, who were pagan, unbelievers. And so very much like Paul finding himself in Caesar's house. And, and so they have this opportunity now to live their life, to live their faith through their actions and through their words. And then, in, in the course of history, when Ethiopia then was taken over, when the communist government took over, um, these Christian women who were serving there, they didn't panic, but they just continued to serve their new masters or their new employers with, um, as though they were serving Christ. And over time, they began to be a blessing to others. The gospel began to advance in that setting as they were a blessing to others as uh, many of the children of those communist leaders, just like the children of the royal rulers before them, began to come to know the Lord. With Paul, it was the whole imperial palace guard. So the secret service, okay? the, the bodyguards of the emperor, soldiers who walked through Caesar's house. They had now been introduced to Christ. The gospel was advancing and it took root. How do we know? How do we know it took root? How do we know he didn't just share Jesus and they told him how stupid he was and that was that? How do we know? Well, you'd have to skip to the second last verse of the book of Philippians. We'll be getting there in a few weeks, but a little preview, it says this. All the saints, this is the second last verse of the letter, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So now how did some of Caesar's household become saints? Because a prisoner named Paul took the opportunity to witness Jesus to his guards. So God turned his predicament into a win. Then on top of that, on top of all that, um, other Christians, what was happening through Paul, this made other Christians more courageous and fearless in their witness. Witnessing can be scary, can't it? Isn't it scary sometimes to witness, to stand up for your faith, to kind of go the opposite direction that everyone in our society is going? Uh, it can be scary. So isn't it helpful to have examples, to have someone to be that example for you, um, to, to give you courage, to show you what courage in Christ is all about? Paul was an example for these people, and he gave them courage. That was obviously helpful. I mean, um, who here rejoices? Who here rejoices when you get diagnosed with a disease? or have an accident, or lose a job. Who here rejoices? Right? Is, is, is the first thing we always say when one of those things happens, is, is the first thing we say, awesome! Man, how is God going to use me in this situation? We don't, that isn't our first reaction, is it? But maybe, maybe it can be as we grow. We, we need examples. We need mentors. We need people of wisdom and strength in their faith around us. We need rocks like Paul, right? To give us courage when those things hit so that, so that we can see God's perspective on it and then react in a way that would give others courage. Okay? We need examples to give us courage in life. Examples like Elsie Simpson, 
who, as, as I think many of you know, uh, came to me right over there after church one Sunday and said, Pastor, I've just been diagnosed with stomach cancer. It's inoperable. But I know it's good. Because God is good all the time. How much courage has that one phrase that she spoke over there and continued to speak for the rest of her six months on this earth, how much courage has that given all of us? Look how God has used her to be that example of courage for us. She served in that way. God had that purpose for her, but she's not the only one. Okay, God has that kind of purpose for you and me too. And you need to think about that. People are watching you. People are watching you. When, when situations happen in your life, when difficulties come in your life, you've got to know that people are watching you. People are looking to see how are you going to handle that? How are you going to respond to that? You and me, not just Elsie, you and me have the opportunity to be examples of courage for others. So as that opportunity hits you, remember, first of all, it's already a win. God already promised he's going to make good happen through whatever it is. So it's already a win. So then let others around you see that courage in you, that Christ-given, Christ-empowered courage. Let them see that in you. Shine like a star. That's what it means to, to shine like a star, shining God's light. Here comes the second challenge in front of Paul, verses 15 to 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. You've heard of professional jealousy, right? It's sad. It's sad. It's, it's horrible. And it's, it's wrong. And it's embarrassing. Um, scientists being jealous of the success of other scientists. So they, you know, they, they scuttle their, their discoveries or, or hide them up or, or whatever. And so you know, we don't benefit from them because there's jealousy among the people who are coming up with this stuff. All right? so, and the doctors, jealous of other doctors, teachers of teachers, and even preachers of preachers trying to promote themselves while um, dismissing others, letting it be about them. So what was happening here, where there are some preachers of Christ some Christian preachers were jealous of Paul, probably jealous of his gifts, and jealous of the attention he re re was receiving. So now that Paul was in prison, they figured they could get the upper hand and gather crowds to come hear their preaching instead of Paul's. And, and they, they, thought it even, they thought it would trouble Paul because he was in it for the same glory that they were. So they thought this would bother Paul. But Paul is saying, uh, I'm not, it doesn't bother me. I'm not angry about this. It doesn't trouble me. They're, they're mistaken. Um, I don't care whether the motives aren't good or they're bad. All I care about is that Christ gets preached. And because of that, I rejoice. I mean, it's, it's sad. It's sad that people were preaching about Jesus because of false motives. And have no doubt, 
they would eventually be confronted with that in their lives. But Christ was being preached. And so it was still a win. Christ being preached for bad motives, win. Christ being preached for good motives, win again. And so Paul's going to rejoice. Paul's going to rejoice even in prison. Here comes this heart. I'm sure you've heard verses out of this section, 19 to 26. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I, go on, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So, hashing this out, if Paul were released and lived, then he he could go about, once again, working for the Lord. When? But if Paul were in, in prison, executed and died, then he would go to heaven to be with the Lord. When? So if Paul lived, win. If he died, win. It's a win-win. No matter what happens, he couldn't lose. And here's the thing. You know, Paul had all these gifts. He could heal people. He even raised the dead a few times. God was working him powerfully. He did not have omniscience. Okay, Paul didn't know what was going to happen. He had no idea. So he had to have faith and patience, just like you and I do. He didn't know what was going to happen. But he knew whatever was going to happen is a win-win. He knew he was going to win either way. And so he wasn't, he wasn't concerned. He knew that God would use him however God needed to use him. And if Christ was being glorified in his life here on earth, how much more would Christ be glorified with his perfect worship in heaven? So what, what Paul did was he avoided those two extremes. The one, uh, the one, one would be an unhealthy, d- d- an unhealthy attachment to life here on earth where we're holding on and we just got to hold on to every because this is the only thing we have. And the other extreme would just be you know, this impatient desire for death. You know, God, take me. You know, when maybe God has some purpose for me here yet. So he avoided those two extremes. Uh, real living is impossible without Christ. So Paul had seen that to live is Christ. His friend Lydia had everything. She was wealthy, intelligent, powerful, all the things that we spend our lives trying to get. But what would she have ended up with without Christ? Where would she end up without Jesus? Spiritually bankrupt. Because all the things she had before that All those treasures she had were temporary. They they had expiration dates on all of them. Would Paul live for that? Would we live for that? The slave girl 
whose anger and bitterness over being sold into slavery corroded her soul so much to the point where she became vulnerable to demonic possessions. Would you want to be living like that? I mean, you haven't always been treated fairly in life. So is, are you being eaten away by the desire for vengeance? The jailer. The jailer was ready to take his own life. He thought he had nothing left to live for because he had failed at his job and was fearing the consequences. So let me ask you, was he really living? But aren't these, aren't these the lives, the kind of lives that people around us are choosing every day? The lives that those kind of those the lives that those three were living, living in opulence, living in bitterness, uh, living in fear, aren't those the kind of lives people around us are choosing all the time? Paul saw the brokenness and dysfunction of it all, but he also saw the joy that comes with the gospel of Jesus when the gospel of Jesus heals and transforms and restores. Got to remember, Paul had once lived in bitterness and hatred persecuting the church that he came to love. But God came and hijacked his life. And, and the murder of Christians became a preacher, the preacher of Christ. And that's why Paul says, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Um, there are no alternatives to Christ. Every other option is not an option. If, if, if you take everything that is so dearly valuable to us in this earth, and when you compare that and line it up against the glory that is in Christ, it is nothing. And that's how we can well see that Christ alone is worth living for. And he's also worth dying for. Because, you see, what Jesus did for us by making us right with God, because of what he did for us, dying and rising again, um, that hasn't just covered us for this life here. That has also covered us for death. God promises you eternal life. So your death is the entrance into true glory. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. This isn't just about this life. Our hope is for the life to come. That's what this is all about. And there is a greater day, a greater life coming because the gospel promises life everlasting. Jesus said, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. Death is a homecoming for the Christian. To die is gain. So Paul, sitting there on that prison, that cold, stinky prison floor, was saying, it would be better to go home. But also, Paul, sitting there in the, in the wealth and comfort of Lydia's house, chilling out by her indoor hot tub, was saying, it would be better to go home. To die is gain. Thing is, it wasn't his choice. And that's a good thing, isn't it? It was going to be up to God, what God wanted to do with Paul. So Paul, it wasn't his choice. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. Um, and he didn't know what he would choose. Because it's a win-win. He would win either way. So he didn't know, if he had to choose, he didn't know what he would have chosen. The easy choice would be dying and going to heaven. 
That's what he's looking forward to. That would be the easy choice. But then what about the Philippians? What about all the ones he left behind? What about all the people that, that he hasn't shared the gospel with yet? So he figured that it would probably be best for them if he stayed around a little bit more to serve their spiritual needs. So he, you know, he says, I will, I will serve you. I'm, I'm willing to serve you. Even if it means delaying my entrance into, into the gates of paradise, delaying my entrance into heaven for a while because I know I will get there eventually. It's going to be a win-win for me either way. And just knowing how God operates, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that he's probably going to have me uh, stay and work here some more to serve your needs and, and work with you guys on sharing the gospel. All right? But either way, Paul, let it be up to God's will. Paul lets God's will be done. What did happen? Near as we can tell, Paul did get out of prison for a while and continued his work for a bit. And as far as we can tell, probably got to see the Philippians again for a visit. And then later on, he's going to be imprisoned for a final time. So the ending, 27 to 30, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So the, the word there, walk as citizens in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, he's speaking in that language because you remember how concerned these people in Philippi were. They were, they were so concerned about being worthy citizens of Rome. So he's saying, be, be worthy citizens of the gospel. That's how you will shine like stars. It's never easy here, though, is it? I mean, do you think that Lydia got converted and then never wrestled with doubt or fear again? Because we don't hear about it, right? We just hear about how she converted and then brought these guys into her home and you know, was this active, wonderful member of their church. But do you think she never struggled with doubt or fear? Do you think that slave girl uh, came to know Jesus but then never struggled with bitterness or the ability to forgive again? You think the jailer came to faith in Jesus and just, just started glowing with Jesus light and converted the entire Roman legion there at Philippi? Not at all. These were regular people like you and me, struggling daily, living a life worthy of the gospel means that we stand united as one. It means that we work together because we're, we're showing thankfulness to God for what he's done by, by proclaiming Christ in the world around us through our words and our actions. And we're all sinful. We're all going to be very poor at that at times, but we're around each other to, to, to correct where correction is needed and encourage where encouragement's needed. And that's what it means to contend together for the gospel of Christ. That's what it means to conduct yourselves worthy in the manner of gospel or live a life worthy of the gospel. Are we perfect? No. 
Last week, last week I was up here preaching about my joy in our partnership of the gospel. How much joy that brought me that we could do this all together. And then invited any and all of you, small group, Bible study where we could partner some more. No one showed up. No one. One guy halfway through. But other than that, no one. So, do we have some growing to do as a family of Christ? I think so. I know I have some growing to do. But we're not going to grow unless we're putting ourselves in situations where we can encourage and correct and point to him together. And, and realize that this is, this is always an ongoing thing. Um, do, I mean, as that church in Philippi began to grow, you know, do you think they had some growing pains? Do you think they had some times where uh, they were frustrated with each other? Do, 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 you, do you think that, do you suppose that, um, that maybe as things were going really well, that Lydia maybe struggled with some pride, you know, because she had kind of started the church off and put these people up in her home? Do you think that that, do you think that slave girl probably had some trust and relationship issues? You think the jailer um, had a few rough edges that maybe led him to deal unlovingly with people from time to time? I'm sure all of those things and more. The church isn't perfect, isn't it? We aren't perfect, are we? So, we need strength from God. Living a life worthy of the gospel does not mean pretending that we're perfect. It actually means admitting that we aren't perfect, that we're far from perfect, and believing in the grace, the undeserved love that God has shown us through Christ. It means having the humility to consider others better than yourselves, which is something we will dig into big time next Sunday. It means um, not being so wrapped up with self-concern that we can't work together. And it means above all that we share the same forgiveness with each other that God so undeservedly gave us when he forgave our sins in Jesus. We forgive each other the same way. What does it look like? What does it look like to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? It looks like walking with, loving with, doing life with people who are different than you are. And what binds you together is Christ. It, it, looks, like, it looks like contending together for the gospel, working together um, to make Christ known. And what motivates you is Christ. It looks like standing against any oppression or enemy to the gospel. And what, what secures you and protects you is Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And it's a win-win either way. No matter what happens, it's a win-win. So how are you doing? Are you living a life worthy of the gospel? Have you found Christ worth living for? Have you found him worth dying for? Have you found him worth forsaking everything else for? 
Examine your own life. Examine your own life. Are you hanging out only with people who are like you, who just tell you what you want to hear? Are you timid and fearful when it comes to any opposition to your faith? Are you stagnant and cold? Or are you growing in all of these things? I hope that's where we are. Because I know we're not perfect at any of them. But what we want to be is with God's power, growing in all those things with the encouragement from a letter like the one Paul wrote to Philippi. The day is coming, could be today, when you will die. And on that day, you're going to find yourself in this great victory celebration. And all those troubles and difficulties that are pressing you all over the place right now will be nowhere to be seen. And in the center of all of that will be Christ, the victor, And you will be on his winning team then as you are on it now. Real life is only possible with Christ. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And so, whether God has like this whole long great life planned out ahead of you yet, or whether he's planning on taking you home tomorrow, it's a win-win. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all under understand and keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.